Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, gentlemen, welcome back to another riveting episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. Hopefully, hopefully, as you hear this, my audio sounds clear as a whistle i've got a brand new audio interface over here uh split shot swears to me it sounds crystal clear on his side so we're gonna rock it we're gonna hope for the best and uh, worst case scenario this will probably be one of the very last times that you have to deal with subpar audio from me um but i'm sitting here in the jason dale's headquarters studio and i've got one two three mouth calls i've got a coyote locator. I've got a trumpet behind me. I've got my Insta 360 selfie stick all ready for turkey season. I have got my brand new ultra lightweight carbon fiber tripod for for filming. I've cleared off all of my SD cards. I've archived all the footage from deer season. And mentally, <clears throat> I'm already in turkey season. I'm there. I've been there. Uh, Split shot knows this because it's the only daggum thing that I talk about right now in the group. Um, but here's the deal. You can tell in the polo group, there's about a 75-25 split in that group where the deer hunters are pissed off that we're talking about turkey. They're tired of it. I thought Brett was going to leave polo this morning. He looked so put out by the conversation that we were, we were having at that point in time because this is Brett's busy season. And so I recognize a lot of you guys are still sore about deer season. You're still thinking about those things. And right now, while everything's fresh, we're going to continue the series for deer hunting, the, the lessons learned series. And so, uh, there are three States of emphasis for me in this series, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, I guess maybe we could do a Missouri one with Brett as well. If he, if he's interested, which is kind of a joke because if you ask Brett to talk about deer, he's going to talk about deer, but 
here we are to talk about Georgia and uh, split shot. You have been heavily requested to come back on the podcast. I don't know if I've told you this, but every time you've been on the show, people have absolutely adored it. And so I appreciate you carving time out of your evening. It's eight o'clock at night when we're recording this thing. And uh, we're here to talk about Georgia, dude, the lessons learned. Uh, I want you to talk about your success because you haven't been on the podcast. You had a lot of fun. Um, but I want to do three things real quick at the beginning of this intro. And I promise I'll be super quick. One, we have six spots left for the for the turkey first ever turkey Patreon hunt camp. Um, if you want in, you need to jump on that quickly. I know that there's about three people pondering whether or not they can get off in time. Uh, it's going to be March 18th to March 21st. Uh, the details are all on Patreon. We would love to have you guys there. When this hits 25, we're done. We're, we're capping it. We're going to keep this a, a fun uh, cabin-filled uh, space and uh, there's going to be a lot of debauchery. There's going to be jokes. Uh, Florida man will, will will be there to entertain everybody, and so it's going to be a really good time. The third thing, we still have some uh, collaborative calls with Honeycomb Customs that is still that are still for sale. So go to Honeycomb Customs, Honeycomb Customs. Click on the Partners tab, and you can go and buy a three pack from us. If you are a Patreon member, you have been provided a discount. You can buy it uh, with a discount for I think uh, five dollars off of, of a pack of three, as many as you would like. Uh, we would love for you to consider joining patreon and getting that benefit being part of the polo group being part of the patreon group um we've had a couple new members ryan goins thank you for joining really appreciate that um and then the last thing i have a batch of 20 spalted pecan pot calls i know there are 25 or 30 people on the wait list for uh, pot calls these are the only 20 that i'm going to guarantee get out this spring uh, I might make more. I may not. We'll see. But these 20 are going to be sent off to be lasered with our Chasing Tails insignia. And so that'll be the first ever that that is a thing. It's going to come with either a standard Hickory Striker or a custom White Oak Striker. It's entirely your choice when you order. Um, and the way I do this, guys, as a reminder, is I start at the top of the list. And I say, do you want this? And they say yes or no. They go down the list. And then it ends up wherever it ends up. And whomever's hands, they would like to see it. So I just timed myself split shot. That was a minute and 15 seconds. I think it's a world record. I've ever gone through that much stuff. All right. Now it's time to talk about deer hunt, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. But we're, I bet you, I bet you before it's all said and done, we start talking about Turkey while we talk about your deer. Just, I, I have a feeling I see a natural segue in the near future, but uh, I'm excited about Turkey. season. I'm going to tell you that now <laughs> I am ready. I love deer hunting, but I'm excited for Turkey season. It's going to be a new challenge for me. So I am excited. Okay, you know what? I'm going to break my rule. I said three things. There's a fourth one that I forgot. We are doing a fly-down mount. Too Tall, is, uh, who is a Patreon member in the group. The Joker is like seven foot six, seven foot seven. The guy's huge. He is donating a fly-down a fly turkey mount to the first person who clearly on footage shoots a Tom turkey this year with their bow and recovers it you got to get it down to his taxidermist but and we can carpool it across the state of florida but if you're considering patreon or if you're a patreon member and you're not a part of those groups which there's a lot of you and that's okay too uh you're listening now email me if you got any questions but that's hey, it we're I've, done. Seen, I've seen his mount and it looks good that's a, his taxidermist does a very good job uh on the turkeys yeah yeah no it uh I've only seen it on polo, but I'm jealous. I want one. I think, I think what I'm gonna do that big Georgia G is kind of obnoxious. Just throw it, it in the garbage, right? 
<laughs> I was gonna say I'm gonna move it over here. <laughs> Y'all can't see this on video, but I've got my wall of of scarcity up here. I've got one tiny little deer deer rack here, and then I've got my big Florida buck back here. But I was thinking I've got just enough space here for a fly down. So what I've decided is if I kill a color phase bird, I'm gonna do a fly down. I'm gonna take it down to two tall's guy, and it's gonna be right there. So, dude. Um, you know, one of the downsides to having a hunting podcast and talking about the places that you go is that you draw unnecessary attention to areas. Um, it's a thing that Parker had happened in Northern Alabama where guys started chasing down his kayak. So he bought a boat to hide from them. You know, you never post videos of landings and stuff like that. Um, but what has happened is you have hunted down all of my honey holes through polo videos. I think you have a, one of those little GPS <laughs> tiles on my truck. Um, and it, it very quickly became apparent to me that you were going to be hunting a lot of those same areas that, that I'm hunting in Georgia. And so I was pretty free with information with you. And, uh, I feel like you were very free with information with me and I got to witness a really fun season for you. So Kind of set the stage for everybody. Um, had you hunted Georgia prior to this, uh, what did that look like? Kind of what were your expectations? Let's just kind of set the stage a little bit. So this was this wasn't my first year hunting Georgia, but this was my first year going and hunting public land in Georgia. Okay. And we too tall and I had he's my cousin, so he he and I had had some leases in the past. Um, so we had one in Southeast Georgia, that one didn't work out really well. Then we kind of moved up to central Georgia and it was, it was a good lease, um, enjoyed hunting on it, but it, it had outside pressure that wasn't supposed to be on the lease. That was kind of there. I think that was an issue that went on and, uh, it was always something that I wanted to do is hunt public land. Um, so anyway, the kind of going through the years, I pretty much just, I was like, I'm not going to drive to Georgia and make these trips anymore and spend all this money on lease and you know somebody else come up here and shoot my deer or something like that go on so uh i've really just since that time which i would say was about eight years ago seven eight years ago i've not hunted any private land at all i just solely hunted florida um hunting public land in florida and i've really enjoyed it um you just kind of embrace what florida is so well, all of this to be said, like at some point in my life, I wanted to get to where I felt confident in Florida. And then I wanted to move out of state and start doing some out of state trips. So my goal was to start with Georgia, see how things go. And uh, so I started doing a lot of research and just finding places that kind of met my qualifications. Um, driving distance was a big thing. Um, having the ability to camp in these areas was a big thing for me. Uh, and then obviously trying to find places where, you know, big whitetails might live that were, you know, kind of met all those qualifications. And I found a few places that I wanted to go and I, and I still have a few more that I want to go try. Um, uh, there's, there's a ton of opportunity out there in Georgia and it's pretty open. So I, it's just been a, a goal of mine to do this and it's been a, uh, at least a seven year process to try to get back up there. So last year I bought a license, went up and did a really fast, like scouting trip and took a little buck. Um, and my license, I bought it late. So I was actually able to use it for this season. 
and knowing that I was going to have the time and, you know, we had kids and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of prolonged itself. But this year I had the, the opportunity with my family and stuff to be able to go up there um, on my own. And that's kind of where we got to now in this season, honey. I think, I think one of the things about this was, and you know me, I'm going to be secretive about where you went, but you went on some really good hunts. Like, I feel like you were very diligent about setting yourself up for success by um, making sure that the areas you were going to were worth the drive. Because it's a haul for you. What is it, seven, eight hours to some of these places? I would say around five. Five. Okay, so, that's not I mean, as bad as I thought. I can, I can be all the way to North Georgia and about eight hours if i go straight down the interstate so i mean i can cover most of the state pretty quick yeah okay that's not terrible i thought it was further but you still you still had some really good hunts what were your expectations kind of going into this season uh, i was just, honestly i wanted to break the 100 inch mark um uh, and i had told my wife i was like man i'm not getting any more deer mounted unless they're over like 125 <laughs> um i said it just it doesn't mean as much to me to shoot you know 100 inch deer and it, I, I don't want to take anything away but that 100 inch mark was a really big goal for me in florida and then when i went to georgia like there has to be something bigger for for a georgia deer to make it on the wall you know it, yeah it's, it's it's apples to oranges talking about georgia to florida so um that was kind of my goal so the, and i didn't even think that that would honestly happen but as we'll get into it, I, I did break the 125 mark. So we do have a mount at the taxidermist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you crushed it, dude. I think uh, when you told me the hunt you were going on, first off, if the excitement behind it didn't get you jacked up, nothing was going to, right? Like you, you are one of the most expressive, energetic individuals when you're excited. You were just like, what you see is what you get. If you're down, you're down. If you're high, you're high. It's right there. And when you draw this, drew this hunt, your whole season looked like it, that it was destined to just be a good one. Um, let's kind of break this down to like two parts. Let's do that early success that you found. And that, that, that later season success that you found. Um, it was, I mean, honestly, you kind of call it late season success. Honestly, I mean, that was, that was, you didn't have very much time to spare there. Um, so on this hunt that you went on, having come from Florida, what did you learn going to that piece of play, uh, property? Had you been there before? I'd never stepped foot on that piece of property. Um, the close that I came to it was we actually kind of drove through the area on the way back from Ohio one year. And uh, other than that, I had never laid eyes on the place. I've only driven by it. Um, so that was the extent of my process in it. Um, and it, it took a while to really pick out where I wanted to go. And all this research is anybody that wants to really find a good deer hunt, you got to do the research and the legwork beforehand. And I will say the people that our locals in Georgia are not happy about guys coming from Florida to hunt about it. But I'll say this is not when I told them the work and the effort that I put into it, not one of them was disappointed that I was there and they were very friendly and forthgiving with information and helpful for me. Um, I, I can't say enough about the people 
that I met up there on that first hunt, it was just absolutely incredible. Um, I met a guy that first day that I pulled in, he was the only guy in the campground and, uh, he helped me out so much just with just getting the deer. He would check on me and come over and make sure that I was, you know, okay. I told him, said, I'm up here. I'm up by myself, you know, said, if, if I don't come out of these woods, you come find me. And, uh, Conrad definitely took care of me and just checked in on me. It's important to be safe. And, uh, whenever you're at a campground or something like that deer hunting, you need to talk to other hunters and, uh, get the most out of your experience. Cause that's part of it. So it felt kind of a little bit like a deer camp. Um, even though it was just a couple of us there. Yeah. I remember, I remember after you shot your deer, you had a lot of, like you were always talking to about this guy, you, you know, and he helped me do X. And then I went, did you go looking for one of his deer too? At some point. He, uh, I, I offered to help him. He was hunting pretty close. Um, to our to the camp and to the road but i had offered to help him i put i told him i said i'd put you in my spot if you want to do it um so he was really helpful for me and i tried to be helpful to him as well that's awesome dude that's really awesome so how much time did you put into this area i hold on let's just let's let's rip the band-aid off this thing what lessons did you learn on this hunt <sighs> man it was, there was so much because this was my very first time on public land, um, out of state. So there was things that I had to learn camping. Um, and I, I try to put a lot of process into that because the logistics of your hunt are important. Um, but also just trying to pick out an area and it, it, it built a lot of confidence in me, uh, for just what I, you know, going through and picking out an area and, feeling like i could go hunt anywhere i mean this one really this hunt was it i felt like i could go anywhere from this um because i i hit a place like i'm thinking it's going to be kind of similar to what i'm used to i've hunted all over florida i was thinking i think brian and i talked about this the other day but i have hunted somewhere around probably close to 30 wmas um and most of them about 25 or so well yeah, probably around 25, 26 were in the state of Florida. So I've been all over the state of Florida and I've seen a lot of different terrain and, and a lot of diversity. And I'm thinking I'm going to apply that when I get up there. And, and it did apply, but it only applied in certain ways. And it was more, I knew what thickets were and I knew how to hunt thickets. And uh, when I got up there, it wasn't like I was going to, find this fantastic food source because there was oak trees that I had never seen. Um, I never paid any attention to it. So I'm running into like over cups and um, there's food plots up there and I, I've never really hunted around this stuff. So that was a big learning curve for me. But uh, the big help that I've had was having so many terrain. And once you learn what the thickness is of a place, kind of you're going to want to hang up i guess where their security is going to be yeah. at yeah i could see that for sure so how many days of scouting did you have to put in to get on this deer i got up there i when i leave here i leave super early in the morning and i try to plan my trip out so that i get uh, I'm getting there around daylight 
Uh, and that's how I did this one. I, I had gotten there. I stopped at Walmart and grabbed some groceries and stuff like that. And then by the time that I pulled into the woods, it might have been eight o'clock, somewhere around there. It was it was maybe an hour into daylight. So I had all day that the day before the hunt to uh go and scout. And I having an e-bike uh is absolutely, you know, tremendous for getting in there and and hitting all those foot travel roads. Something it just saves your legs a little bit and you're able to go in and just check things a little bit faster. So that was a huge benefit, but I only spent that first day and uh I found two really good spots. And another thing that I will say is if if you see one of the guys that work at the DNR up there, stop and talk to those guys. They're um really helpful. The one that was on on this particular hunt, uh I had pins marked and I just wanted to kind of see what he would say. Like if these guys see the land more than what we do. Um, you're looking at it in one way and he's looking at it through different mm-hmm. eyes or a dif- different objective. Um, he says, I told him where I want to go. He says, that's a good spot. He said, you ought to go down there and check it out. He says, go check this other place out. So I run down in there where I want to go and I check it out and I find a lot of concentrated sign and I'm like, I find find a tree. I'm like, this is everything I need. I got funnel. I've got, uh, my wind should be right for the next day. I can kind of skirt the, you know, kind of skirt where I think they're going to be at. Said my access was a little shaky, but I felt like I could deal with it. So I planned on hunting there. And then I ran back over to where the, the DNR guy had their land manager had told me to go, um, got in there and I checked it out. And I knew why he sent me over there. There's all these big scrapes and stuff like that over there. I mean, it was just massive sun, but I didn't see any. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. It's like a thicket for a deer to hold up in. And so what I did was I just hopped on that bike and I found those scrape fast, um, threw the bike off in the bushes and started walking and following this big sun. And, and a, these deer... They're not ghosts or anything. I think we give them a lot of credit that they don't necessarily deserve all the time. They are hard to kill. I'm not saying that. But uh, anything that lives out there in the bushes, he's got to leave a foot track. He's got to leave in his biology to leave rubs and scrapes like that. Um, He's going to leave trails. So I just hopped on where I found some big rubs and started following them back until I found the thicket. And I said, well, how am I going to hunt this thicket? And then I walked in there and found my spot. And uh, it 
really it wasn't something that most people would look at and a lot of people walk right by it and i walk into this briar patch and uh as soon as i walked into that briar patch i bumped two deer like i'd maybe step you know five steps into the into the briar thicket and i bumped two deer and i'm talking brer rabbit wouldn't want to have gone into one of these places but uh that I jumped those deer, so I marked that spot, and then I just kind of walked it out a little bit more, and I started finding some really big sign in there, and I was like, this is good. But I felt like the other was a little bit more honorable because of the concentration, and uh, that's kind of how scouting went that day, that first day. And, and I had enough right there to be able to hunt off of. When you say a concentration, we're going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. What do you mean when you say concentration? Because there's a lot of guys – that means different things for different people. I bet I'm willing to bet that the concentration of sign that you saw there did not reflect anything that you would see in Florida. In places it did that one, the sign there was really, it was, I had not seen sign that big. That was something that was very different to me. And the deer there on this particular WMA, they've just laid down a, when they found a spot they like, there is a lot of sign there. Um, and if that's where they wanted to be, like it wasn't hard for you to find it. It was just a matter of you getting into there to that spot. Um, and the other thing I, I've only seen this a handful of times in Florida is where you see a tree that's really rubbed up, like just hardcore rubbed up and then they'll make a scrape underneath it. I don't know if you have ever seen that. I've only seen it probably a, if I would say a handful of times, probably three times. And yeah, that's Florida. what I'm saying. Yeah. Up there, I saw it in multiple different places, and it seemed pretty common um, for what, you know, a little bit of ground that I've, I've put down while I was there. Um, and I got to do a little bit of scouting on the back end, too. So, um, really, when you go in there – what I'm looking for in, in sign and, and a thicket, I want somewhere where deer, I feel like he's going to be safe. And, and that's going to vary from WMA to WMA. Um, and they might be down a switch cane. They might be in a briar thicket. They might be in the, in the ponds. Don't go in with like a mindset, just go in there and be like, where can a deer hide? Um, and I think a lot of people will see, like they would have stopped at the, the sign up by the road um on the field edge and there's going to be really good sign there but you need to take that back to a thicket somewhere where a deer is going to feel safe and then when you find a bunch of sign around a thicket oh that's gold that to me that's what i call a wow spot like it needs to really impress you and when you come into place like that you got the thicket you got the sign there and if you can compound that with a funnel um, or some kind of terrain feature to make a deer move around that way. Uh, for me, there was a food plot there uh, next to it, and the, I knew the wind would be coming out of the north the next day. I think it was the northeast. So it was actually an advantage for a buck to kind of lay up in that briar thicket and be able to check. There was a drainage there where a lot of deer walked through, and then there was a there's that food plot. So I knew that bucks would be kind of cruising that area, um, coming through and trying to win those does. And I knew the big sign was there. So that's what I, 
really compounding everything together and that concentration and, and what I mean by like a wow spot when everything comes together, that means, wow, I need to hunt here. I don't need to look anywhere else. And all that came together on really kind of both of those places. Um, and then if you could find a good access to get in there without getting busted, then you're putting the whole hunt together at that point. All right. So let's break down this hunt story time. What kind of take us through the, the, the time, the, the sequence of events. I wish I had set reminders so I could go back and watch your polos because this was one of those events where you're at work and, or you're doing something and split shots, just blowing your phone up with like these awesome adventures. So, so it, it was really roller coaster hunt and that it had started uh like i said i've been waiting a long time to go up here and hunt and my stepdad um he's pretty much like my dad so we'll call him my dad here um my dad had gotten cancer this year and he passed away in august and we sat on the porch i don't know how many years talking about going up here to hunt and i was telling him where i was interested in going and uh he was actually born 15 minutes from where i hunted at so we had talked, had many conversations about it. It was very, it was a very important hunt for me, um, after everything that we had gone through this year. And I got up there and like I said, I, I went in there, found the sign really fast and everything was going right. And this was the hunt for me this year. Um, this is what I've been waiting for all year. Uh, knew I was going to draw the, the permit. And, uh, so I found the sign, I go down there and I chose to hunt uh hunt a terrain feature like i said that first spot that i went in there and found I, I chose to hunt that place because there was more concentration uh in this thicket i was finding you know a buck bed uh I, everything was there um so i chose to hunt that place first well i was going to do an all-day sit and i woke up that morning and go out to the truck and i had locked my keys in my truck so I had to break into my truck at, at like three 30 in the morning. And the reason I woke up at three 30, I planned on waking up at four, but there was guys driving in at three 30 in the morning. Like I'm laying in my tent and there's guys driving by, uh, by the campground. I could hear them. I knew they were going hunting and I'm like, hell no, I ain't laying here sleeping <laughs> you know, and letting these guys beat me down there. So, uh, I, I hop in there or, you know, get out there and my keys are locked in my truck. And I'm like, I have screwed up already. So I ended up getting a break in my truck, go ahead and go hunting. And I, first thing I do get down there and find my tree and, uh, climb up the tree and get everything kind of settled in and not 10 minutes into me sitting down. I had, it may have been the buck coming in there. He just came in there in the dark. Uh, and I got busted right off rip. So I'm thinking, well, that's not the end of the world, you know? Um, so I sat there, I sat there all day, saw two spikes and, uh, right at dark, I heard something come running through and it was, ended up being a hog. And I was so frustrated after sitting there all day, freezing, the wind had been, you know, just blowing all day. And, uh, this hog comes in, I'm like, you know, screw it. I'm shooting this hog. So I blast this hog and uh run back and pack him out and everything like that and i'm like i'm going to that other spot i'm not sitting down there again and uh 
So the next morning comes and I had heard, you know, after talking to everybody in the camp, I had heard, you know, I saw a big buck, somebody else killed. I'm like, I really screwed up, you know, just went in there and picked the wrong spot. So the next morning comes and the temperature was going to drop. I think it, I want to say it was 25 that morning. True. It was cool. It was a cool morning, but the wind had kind of laid down and uh the sun had popped out like it was going to be a nice sunny day and i knew that was you had the temperature drop you had the sun popping out like this was just one of those money days that you wanted to hunt and uh so i went back to that briar thicket and i said i'm just going to climb up in that tree where uh where i can see down in this briar thicket and i covered the whole thing um with a rifle so i'm sitting there and i've seen a couple of deer come by and this doe comes out. She's only maybe 20 yards from me. And I had it in my mind. I was like, man, I'm going to wait for a buck. But then I kind of got this. I was thinking, I'm like, hey, I'm down into this hunt. Like, I'm already a day down into this hunt. I said, I don't want to leave out of here empty-handed. So I had a just an absolute money shot. And I watched her. I had a chance to watch her. Um, she didn't act like there was anything behind her. So, I went ahead and took the shot. I, you know, shot her. She ran about 20 yards and she fell over next to this, um, deadfall and, uh, and right on the edge of the briar thicket. And so I'm sitting there and everything's going fine. And there's this little five point come by, uh, probably 15 minutes later or something. I even took a polo of him. He went over there and he's like kicking her trying to get up. So I'm like, man, this is, this is a good time. But this is the kind of day I waited for. And, uh, I'd seen a couple other deer and you can only shoot two deer on this hunt. Uh, one could be a doe and then one could be a buck. So I'm waiting for the buck. This is buck time, you know? And, uh, I want to say it was around nine o'clock. This doe just comes boiling by. She was probably about 80 yards from me and right behind her comes a, a nice, nice buck. It ended up being a nice seven point. And uh, just moments, I mean, maybe a minute later, um, kind of looking over to where this doe and the, the other bucket ran, and they went down and hit this drainage, and they come out on the backside of the drainage, and then I'm waiting for them to kind of pop through, uh, but they never pop through. They hit that drainage and then run out the other side, and I never got to see them, so I didn't get to shoot him. And then a minute later, there was a just a giant buck. I mean, a giant. The one that that I ended up killing was a good one, but I think this one was actually a bigger buck. And I just the way the sun was hitting me, I I couldn't see him good in the scope, and he wasn't slowing down for nothing. And uh, he never never gave me a good opportunity to take the shot. And at that point, like my heart just sank um i remember texting you in the stand and i'm like man i'm i'm devastated and you're you really kicked me back into gear because i'm just like man i just saw probably the biggest buck i've ever seen um sitting in a stand and I, I, there wasn't anything that i could do um so you told me you said man you've got to get down and get over get back in the game you said you're in the game you said keep your head in it um and keep after it you know so I sat there and I thought to myself, I said, what would I tell somebody that was in this situation? Um, so immediately, like I just got down. Um, I went ahead and um, climbed right on down, grabbed my stuff and 
went and I moved to where I could shoot to where that doe had ran through. And I walked right past the dead deer laying down on the ground, walked right past her and uh, climbed another pine tree, probably about 30 yards past where she was <laughs> and uh, climbed a tree where I could look the other way and I could be able to shoot to where these deer came in, where that hot doe had ran. And uh, sat there and seen a few more deer. I think I'd seen like 13 deer total that morning. Um, several bucks, uh, nothing, nothing that I was able to shoot or get a shot on. Um, so it got to be, a, it was right around 11 o'clock and most days I would just hunt through the middle of the day. It wouldn't be a big deal for me to hunt to, you know, 12, one o'clock, something like that. Um, but this day I'm sitting there looking at that doe and I'm like, man, I gotta do something with this doe. Um, so there, I could hear some noise behind me and this armadillo was over there making all kinds of racket, but you know, you want to make sure it's not a deer. So I looked back over there and gave it a little bit of time and it ended up being armadillo. Well, he's walking up on my left side and, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and get down. I'm going to go take care of this doe. And then I'll just run back in here and hunt again. Well, I go to grab my, uh, my sticks to, or my spurs to be able to get down. And I look back over my shoulder because I heard something behind me and a freaking toad come out. And he's only like 20 yards and I had never heard him until he just walked right. Maybe it was the armadillo just kind of muffled the sound. You get used to hearing it. And uh, he had walked right up behind me, but he was behind some trees. So he he doesn't have a clue. I'm, I'm even in the world. And uh, he walks over behind this tree. And uh, I take a shot at him, and I'm not, I do not think I hit him on the first shot. Um, he takes off and he's just ripping his horns through the briars. He got hung up in the briars and he takes off running, but he, he's a big old body deer and he, he just didn't move fast. And uh, maybe my time dog hunting or something like that, but I took a shot at him. <laughs> Um, cause he was still running and this is good advice. If you see a deer still running and he's not dead laying on the ground, you keep shooting until he's dead laying on the ground. And, uh, <laughs> so I shoot again and I hit him right in the back of the neck and he folded up like a ton of bricks, but he fell over right on top of that doe. I couldn't believe it. I, I just absolutely stacked them up. And, uh, so I'm up there and, and all of these emotions had just hit me. Like I said, it was just a roller coaster and uh, got to do a pullover with everybody um, right right there in seconds. If you get a chance to uh, do it, always try to get those really magical moments on video or something because I've got that pullover saved. Um, really cool. Really? That. Yeah, I do. It was really important to me. That was that hunt, just everything with my dad and, and the, that yeah. other buck and moving, like all of that stuff came together. And that deer got down to go over there and check him out. He ended up being, uh, he's kind of like a mainframe six point, but he ended up having a bunch of stickers and stuff like that on him. He was, uh, he was a, ended up uh, 10 points, what he was. And he was just shy of being 130 inches. Um, just 25 inch main beams, just a massive, you know, thick horn deer, just really cool. He's, he's not the prettiest deer in the woods but uh, a ton of character on him. Really nice deer. He's, he's my best deer to date. Um, 
so that was kind of that hunt and i spent the i spent a day you know i learned how to cape a deer out this was my first year i've ever caped out to uh bring them back to the taxidermist down here and uh got to do a little bit of sightseeing went and saw my dad's hometown um kind of just enjoyed the next day and then got back to hunting and that's uh, awesome dude yeah that was it was cool that I didn't, I didn't realize what you, what you were saying about, uh, your dad and, and that, that, cause that like changes everything. The whole dynamic of that is like, uh, a bittersweet completion to a story, right? Like that's beautiful, man. Yeah, it definitely, um, I don't know. Yeah. I kind of cliche. It felt kind of like he was there, but I, I, I really wish the hardest part was I couldn't call him. Um, yeah. cause he was the person I could always depend on, um, to be able to call and he would answer the phone at any point in time. So that was really tough for me, but, uh, it was a really sweet moment. And like I said, um, the Conrad, the guy that was up there, at the campground was there. So I got to take some really good pictures and, uh, celebrate. It's always better when you got somebody there. Um, but it was tough because he, he would have been my first call for sure. <laughs> so my dad was always my first call and that's that's no longer an option so now i call my wife in this past year it when i shot my late season january buck you know that that like 140 145 um yeah i called my <laughs> i called my wife <laughs> and she didn't answer and i called her again and she didn't answer and i got the video camera going because we have this this thing that happens where I call her and I say, Hey, I just shot a deer. And she responds the exact same way. And I don't think it's on purpose, but I think she's just in disbelief that I'm actually killing deer. She <laughs> says, are you bleeping kidding? Me? And so it's always in all of my videos. And it's just this thing that I'm super fond of because, you know, I don't have my dad to call anymore. So I call my wife and they have that. And so I'm calling her, I'm calling her, calling her. I went, Oh my God. I'm like, I just want this moment so bad. And so I call Parker and I'm talking to Parker and it's like 5 a.m. No, it's like 6 a.m. I wake him up to tell him this story and I'm FaceTiming him. And Elena calls me. She starts calling me over and over again. I'm like, oh my God, she thinks it's an emergency. So I had to immediately hang up on Parker <laughs> and then get the get the footage from her. So oh man, I, I feel you, man. That's um he was a hammer. Like that was a big deer. Like he looked big on polo and then you took photos and he is just, I can't wait to see that thing on your wall. (laughs) He's going to dwarf everything else around here, I guess. (laughs) 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 Just the size, like just body size was just incredible. Um, Like I said, I thank God for people being up there and nice to be able to help me. That's too freaking big old deer. That was probably as big as a normal buck down in Florida. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's that's too cool. So hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. 
If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com I'm Will Cooper and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. You you didn't end your season on that high note. You you came back to Georgia late season. Well, that so that hunt actually ended on a low note. Um, oh, it did. Yeah, keep right. going. I ended up so I went back in there and did some more scouting, and because. Uh, after the gun hunt, there was an archery hunt. So I went back over there and stayed for a few days uh, just for the archery hunt. And we had some crappy weather. Um, the first day, it was just bad. They just went, those deer up there, when it was overcast and they just did not move. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just me not seeing deer. Everybody didn't see deer. Like I, I saw like a few, but it went from the same spot seeing 13 deer to seeing like three um same spot so i did a little more scouting and i was like well i'm not gonna sit up here and not see deer and be cold so i just started beating bushes a little bit and i found another really good spot that i like and it wasn't hard to get to so i went in there and kind of just got my tree ready and uh the next day it was going to be kind of the same kind of morning it was back to 25 uh gonna be really cold it might have been 28 but it was it was gonna be a nice clear bluebird sky and uh cold with that big temperature drop again and uh sure enough i get up there setting that tree um and there was a doe hot doe come running by and i had set it up so that i was looking at the transition and thinking they were gonna run down by these scrapes um of course she runs wide, right out in the wide open um behind me well i'd put some cover up in this tree and stuff behind me and uh so i'm moving branches out of the way trying to move branches <laughs> that i had put there you know and uh <laughs> right behind her comes a really nice buck i don't know if he was an eight or a ten but he was a really nice deer he's probably about 115 120 inches um and he comes running in and instead of him being right where she was at he stayed about 10 yards a little deeper in in that Mm -hmm. wide open cover and he Mm -hmm. stopped in some switch cane and i was able to get turned around in the saddle and he ran in there and just stopped and again he just i don't think he even knew where i was at or knew that i was there i think he was so focused on the doe and i shot and I don't know if the switch cane moved it. It wasn't really thick, but I don't know if that messed up the shot or if I just shot too low. I did. It was one of those moments you didn't have really a long time. It wasn't like I had time to range find where it was going to be at or anything. It was right now. You got to make it happen. Grab your bow. Shoot. Um, And I've kind of set my bow up. We talked about this earlier today. I've set my bow up so that I can just grab it and shoot. And if, if it deers in 30 yards, then mm-hmm. it should be pretty much in the vitals. And uh I I just I did not I didn't I, I thought he said well he he spun around and he ran about 60 yards from me and I could see blood behind his shoulder. 
but it may have been low. I, I don't know. I know I saw blood behind his shoulder. I'm thinking this is a dead deer. And uh, he stops right before he goes into the thicket and he gets like woozy, almost like he's going to fall down. And he kind of like stretches out and then he takes some steps into the woods and he didn't run off into the woods or nothing like that. So I'm thinking this deer is going to be there. I give him an hour and uh, get down and start following blood. And I trailed this deer. I want to say I trailed him somewhere around 600 yards, something like mm. that. And I bumped the deer and I knew that I had gone, to, I knew I went too far, but I was already kind of in the doghouse anyway for being up there so long. So I was trying to make something happen. And this is another lesson learned. When you go hunt out of state, try to look for somebody with a good dog or something like that when you're up there. So I bumped the deer and I backed right back out and I didn't know who to call. So of course I'd talk to the polo group and stuff like that and uh, end up finding a guy to talk to up there. Um, he had a cousin that had a dog and it's actually the dogs in the GON and all kinds of stuff like that. So he's a really good, really good guy. And he got kind of hung up on another track, um, before I could ever get to him. And, uh, we ended up trailing that deer a long ways. We went a long ways and, uh, found where knew it was the same deer cause we found blood and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it really dried up from where I last saw the deer and he hit a bed and he got up out of that bed and then we just couldn't trail him anymore got really close to private and uh just didn't work out so i left i spent the entire day i was there i want to say i left there at 11 o'clock at night and had to drive all the way home um that night like i told my wife that i would be home and i kind of pushed it back so i left up there with a really sour taste in my mouth it was just like i said the whole way around this hunt was just a roller coaster but um i saw some really nice deer on it and uh had you know came close to killing two bucks that were you know, like i said probably 115 on the other one so that would have been a, a haul i would have had to stop and buy another cooler to come home <laughs> <laughs> oh man i you know i just can't see you in the doghouse man like you say that you say that and i feel like you're just placating us but i yeah i see how much time you spend in the outdoors i don't think there's a doghouse for split shot i spent i think i was up there for about six days and when yeah. you got two kids like <laughs> your wife is ready for you to come home that's kind of what happened but i wasn't too bad once we got home like everything was fine yeah <laughs> Oh man. So let's transition because you went blind to an area. And once again, you showed up in one of my spots and I tried to talk you out of going into one of my spots. In fact, we were talking on the phone while you were sitting in the truck. Uh, this second area was completely different than the first area, different part of the state. Um, really good hunting but it's actually kind of a difficult wma for a lot of people to break apart um what a lot of people do is they just kind of end up climbing really high and just watching and hoping they you know something comes by <sighs> having gone there how many days did you hunt that second spot one <laughs> <laughs> how many days did you scout it uh that morning, that morning. 
so just tell the story there's no lessons learned you weren't there long enough to learn any lessons so i i, I drove over to the place and um uh, i had some spots marked on on the on the spartan forge that i wanted to go to so i, I just started driving and, and i really like driving just the wma just go in there and drive like early in the morning and i got there kind of a little earlier than i wanted to it wasn't quite daylight so I get there and I start talking to Walt. Uh, I'm like, "Hey, I'm over here on this WMA." Said, "You got any suggestions uh, where to hunt at?" And, and I'm really just kind of looking for confirmation, anyway. But you, the first, very first pin that you send me is uh, one of the main spots that I want, and I'm actually sitting like right next to the place. Um, so I go in there and. I, I don't think it was a bad spot. I just didn't see anything. Like I said, I didn't see anything that made me go, wow, to sit here. I don't think it was a bad spot. Um, so I just scouted around there and I was like, okay, well, I'll go to another spot. And I ended up finding a spot that was, it was okay. It wasn't nothing that really like blew me away. But at that point I was like, okay, now I'm starting to get a little more of an idea, like what the thicket is. Mm -hmm. and this place is kind of open. Um, and I, I struggle. It, it seems like I struggle in open woods. Um, Most just people because do. It's, it's a little harder, especially if you're hunting with, with archery equipment, it's a little harder to narrow those deer mm -hmm. down. Um, so I, I, I'm just like, man, I'm just now kind of getting a hold on this place. I hadn't seen a deer, hadn't bumped a deer. Um, so I send Walt another message. I'm like, hey, um, you got anything else? And he, he had sent me one. And he's like, okay, the deer coming through here doing this. And I'm like, I really don't want to go into that spot. Like, I just feel bad hunting somebody else's spot. That I didn't have, at least have some kind of like mapping, you know, mapping e-scouting e anything like on it so i was like i really don't want to go in that spot so I, i'm like i'm gonna just drive down here i got two spots marked down here on this other thing so i'm gonna go check them really fast and uh if i find the sign there then i'm gonna i'm gonna go in and then hunt it if i don't then uh i'll go over to walt spot and i'll give up and i'll hunt that so i've of course i go in there to where my pins are and I start seeing sign. I could see where a deer had run down the fire break. Um, so I'm thinking maybe this is a buck chasing a doe or something like that. It didn't look like there was any pressure really, which kind of surprised me. Um, yeah, me too. Cause one place was really, the other place was really, I, it wasn't as busy as I thought it was going to be. And then I had hunted another place, another WMA. I hunted three WMAs while I was up in Georgia. And uh, the place that was in the middle, um, it was really busy. There was a lot of people. And then I get to this one, and there just wasn't. I think I saw three trucks, and one of them was a DNR truck. And uh, so I get down there, and, and there's some, like, ladder stands and stuff like that around it. But I get to walking down in this bottom, and I start seeing sign. And the more that I walk, like the more sign that I find, like there's a lot of feed sign in there. There's, um, just Turkey sign galore down there. Um, I had never seen so much Turkey sign. It looked like. Told you Turkey would make an appearance. 
every it looked like every leaf in this place was turned upside down and uh so i ended up running into a gobbler and a thicket right there and uh i could hear some hens over there uh yelping and stuff like that and uh find some scrapes in the air found some rubs like just what i really wanted to see so i just went back to the truck i'm like i'm gonna take a little nap i put in a lot of miles that day i probably put in seven miles um just beating around on this wma beating my head against the wall <laughs> and uh trying to stay out of your spots <laughs> and so i talked to you on the phone i'm like well i found this place what do you think and you you're like Oh man, don't go down there. <laughs> that place sucks. Don't go over there. <laughs> He's like, you need to go on over here. So those deer are going to come off of here and they're going to walk down this ridge and you're going to shoot one. Just go do it. And I'm like, man, Walt, I don't know about this. Like, I feel like this other place, like I need to hunt. And when I got off the phone with you or right before I got off the phone, you're like, if you feel like it's that good, like you need to go hunt it. Yeah. And, uh, so I was gonna go hunt it any anyway. Like I didn't care. So I was gonna go hunt the spot. I was like, that's everything that I I need to find. So I walk in there that afternoon and the there was a front coming in. And I'd probably went in around three o'clock. It was a little later than I would wanted to get in, but I got in there, you know, plenty of time to hunt. And, uh, so I just keep walking and it's thick. Like you're, I, I would describe it as dirty woods. Um, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't something, it wasn't pretty. It just wasn't easy to hunt. It was, it was those woods are kind of open enough that you can see, but it's not open enough for you to shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I walked in there and I found a, uh, I found a thicket where I jumped that turkey at. And then there's another thicket where what I was thinking was going to be a thicket. You could just kind of tell when the woods got kind of a little bit thicker. And I just sat kind of like in the Y in the, in the middle of the Y is where really kind of how I figured and the wind was blowing off of my face. And I figured they would walk down this transition line. And if they came out of either one of those thickets, then there there was a possibility they would move by me. If they didn't, then I probably wasn't going to see them. But they had to be within really like a 30-yard little section for me to be able to Mm -hmm. honestly be able to shoot and maybe even less than that to shoot. But even to see them, they had to be within probably 30, 40 yards of you. So I sit there, and it gets to be, I want to say it was about 5 o'clock. I hadn't seen anything. And, uh... I had been playing around with Colin this year and I bought, um, I had bought a extinguisher grunt call and been watching, that videos, call. been watching some videos and stuff about how to use it and did just different deer talk, um, and communications. And so I hit the call and I, I kind of closed it off to, it was more like a, a doe being like, Hey, I'm over here. Kind of, bleat kind of or grunt kind of bleat noise and uh i did that and next thing i mean wasn't it wasn't a minute later this doe comes boiling out of the bushes and i'm like i know what's up now i know what that look her tail's all tucked up and just comes out of there like a rocket and she runs probably five yards from me 
And I don't know if she heard that sound. I, 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 there's not a way for me to be able to say exactly that this is what happened. But I think she heard me on that call do that sound and be like, hey, I'm over here. And she's thinking that I can get this buck off of me by running over here by this other doe, maybe. So she comes right by me and I draw back and get ready. And the buck comes in right on the transition line. And and I was really careful not to walk up next to that transition line. I kind of went in there and went straight to the tree that I saw. And I really was cautious while I was getting in there not to leave any ground scent down um, as much as I can. And I always like to set up where I walk in at. I want the wind to blow that way. So Mm -hmm. my ground scent and my wind are both kind of lining up as a whole so that's the only one point that a deer can bust me at and uh the buck comes running down that transition line and he didn't stay right on the back side of that doe he ran down the transition line and kind of like stopped right before he got to me at about maybe 20 yards but he was behind some brush and i just held my bow back and just waited and it seemed like forever but and I was, I was really worried about him just taking off running and trying to catch back up to the doe. And he just kind of easily just walks out and he, it's almost like he knew if I, I go into this opening, I'm in a dangerous area. And, uh, he just took his time and he just walked real slow coming out into it and gave me, you know, a pretty good quarter and two shot that, uh, I felt really confident with. And I just hugged it up close to his shoulder and shot him probably about 15 yards and he runs to about 10 yards in front right on the other side of me and he stops and i can just see like the the blood coming out of him and uh i'm honestly i'm waiting for him to fall down but again i'm gonna try to shoot him again like if i get the chance uh, so i'm trying to grab an arrow without him seeing me and finally like he just had enough like about the time i got my arrow knocked he had enough and he bound off again and he went about another 20 yards from me and I see him stop and that like right on the edge of this thicket and he just kind of stands there for a little bit and all of a sudden I can't see him anymore and uh at this point after that last buck and losing him with the bow that was the last time that I had shot my bow other than at the house and uh, it just kind of running through my mind. I'm like, I was a little worried about not finding the deer. So I sat there for a little while and gave him some time. And right before dark, I was like, I need to get down at least where I got a little daylight. And uh, so I get over there and the arrow looks really good. I felt good about the shot, but it was just kind of a little PTSD from the last year. Uh, <laughs> and so I start looking and I'm not finding a lot of blood on the backside because it come out through his, you know, quarter and he was quartering to me, so it come out, went in right behind his shoulder and come out through his gut. So there wasn't a whole lot of blood on the on the exit wound. And uh, so I started looking on the ground. I find a little bit of blood, had had a good arrow, and I just start easing a, just a little bit. And I, I think I might have was I, I just texted you. I had asked you. I was like, "You got somebody up here with a dog?" Because I could feel rain starting to hit the back of my neck. Yep. And uh, I had texted you. I was like, you got somebody with a dog? And I, about the, as soon as I put my phone up and I, I looked for I was like, I'm going to look right over here where I last saw him. 
Yeah, and, I was uh, on the phone. I was on the phone with a buddy of mine tracking you down a dog. Yeah. And when I look over, I look around the bush right after I put my phone up where I last saw the deer. And uh, I just wanted that dog for backup. And I yeah, look yeah. around the the bush and the deer's laying, laying dead there. And uh, that one ended up being, he was just over 100 inches at a really, just a really pretty, nice, tall six point. Um, he didn't have any brow tines, but he was just a really pretty deer. Um, Brian calls him the supermodel of deer, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, just, just a really nice symmetrical rag. Just a really pretty deer. I think he had like 20 inch main beams. Um, but that was the only day that I hunted in that place. Um, and I'll be back. Don't worry. I'm coming back. <laughs> yeah. I've got a camera. I went in that same spot. So I said facetiously that I was trying to talk split shot out of it. I really wasn't. I was trying to actually give him good information. The only thing that I had not taken into consideration was that that area had um, changed in the past couple of years. And at one point in time, it was entirely too thick to be hunted. It just, it was too, it was just, it was, it was a mess. And I would never have sent somebody down in there. And the information I gave you was really good information. Um, and uh, I mean, I wouldn't have given it to you if I didn't want you to use it, but and I'm, I was bummed. Like you, you didn't go there. And I'm like, God, if he had gone there, he would have killed a deer. Like maybe it wouldn't have been a hundred something inch deer, but I, I felt confident you would have killed a deer. And for you to come out of it with that, with that, uh, success was awesome. And so I was like, well, that area was good back in the day. And then it wasn't, and now it's. it seems to be good again. I'm going to go back in there just because, A, I want a long soap trail camera in there. Like, I want a camera to see what's going on in there. And so I went in, was it two weeks after you were there? Uh, it was right about two weeks, I think. Yeah, Pretty I think so. And I went in there and found a rub, the <clears throat> biggest effing rub I think I have ever seen. Like, I think comfortably that that thing was the size of the diameter of that magnolia was this was like that of a basketball. It was huge. And it had these huge gashes in the sides of it. And, and on the back where he had like his racket, like, sp- like gotten around the tree and was just you know, raking the backside of the tree. And then he pulled the crap out of the ground. And what's funny is on the way home out of the woods with the white light on, you could see sand glitter you know glitters of sand across the tops of the leaves and there were like four or five other smaller rubs that he had made that just kind of looked like uh, real non-committal scrapes and i walked over to each one of them and they were all palled and just sand was thrown everywhere but he had crushed that one so i've got a camera watching it because two weeks after that i had a giant that's so i set that camera and i set up on the ground and I had a giant blow through my, my setup. So I'm hopeful he made it because he's 115, 120 inch deer, just an absolute brute. Um, and I'm excited because you and I should both be turkey on that, that area this year too. So we can pull that camera then. I'm hoping that I can get it out there to do it, but it, that just ended up being one of those spots. It was just really hot at that time but i think it's one of those places that will hold deer like over the over the year because it had quite a bit of diversity in it and uh it was that area because it's so open that area that was a good thick place for them Mm -hmm. to be and it had pretty much everything a deer needed down there 
And, and with the dominant winds in the wintertime, it lays out perfectly because they can scent check everybody that's walking to them. And they got that. They've got the ability to escape on the backside. It's a, it's a, it's a really good setup. So on a scale of one to 10, do you recommend Georgia to Florida hunters? No, not at all. Don't go. <laughs> go to go to Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the big bucks are in Alabama. <laughs> Red's rolling over right now. <laughs> Man, listen, I appreciate you to know and taking time out of your evening talking talking to us and Man, I'm looking forward to spending turkey camp with you. We got a big group of guys coming. This is the first ever turkey camp, and I know turkey hunting isn't quite as big a pastime for everybody, but the fact that we've got nearly 25 people for that camp, I think is going to be awesome. Uh, a big cast of characters, and it's going to be a good time, man. It's going to be a really good time. So I'm going to leave you guys with that. I hope you guys enjoy these these lesson learned series. Um, actually, I guess I should kind of give my two cents on lesson learned, shouldn't I? Because that's one of the reasons why I'm here. Um, yeah. I think my biggest lesson with Georgia was um, sometimes you can do everything right and it not pan out. You can be in the right spot. You can do everything right. And the deer ultimately get a say. Uh, I had that monster. Um, I had the wind shift on me. I was hunting on the ground and I had the wind shift and the thermal started to pull up and, uh, I decided to leave and I walked out and as I'm on the way home, my phone goes off and I walked out of there at 10 AM and, uh, I don't necessarily think I made the wrong call per se, but I don't know that I made the right one either. Like it's somewhere in that gray area because I'm on the ground. I'm 25 yards off of a trail in this thicket. Uh, when they're in the shooting lane, they can smell me. Right. And if it swirls at all on that little bottom, they're going to smell me before they get to that shooting lane. And this area is really unpressured. It's a hidden gym. So I leave at 10 at 10 Oh six. Uh, here comes a doe and an absolute stud, probably a hundred inch deer comes blowing past the camera. And then that evening I decided, eh, well, they'll probably be on like a 24 hour cycle. I'll wait and I'll go back tomorrow. And at 5 p.m., he walked right past the same trail camera, going right down the same trail again. And so uh, I went in the next day, did an all-day hunt, and I think I had a deer move through the thicket ahead of me that I just couldn't see. Can't confirm that. Um, Didn't see a deer. Did an entire all-day set. Didn't see a deer. And so, um, you know, flash forward to a month before that, I had that absolute monster. Played the wind perfect, thermals perfect, everything. Got to my spot, hard water edge. Got my back to the water. They can't smell me. Got two different trails converging. Does come down the trail, and the wind just shifts randomly. The entire time, the entire day that I'm there, the wind just shifts for 30 seconds, blows right up the hill into his face, and uh, the biggest deer I think I've ever seen uh, in the woods sat there and smelled me and smelled me and smelled me. And he went into the thicket and kept chasing the does, but he, he kind of did what you said about that other buck. He stayed kind of inside that thicket, just out of, out of harm's range. And so out of harm's uh, way. And so, uh, I think I learned this year that you can do everything right. And it's still just not result in the kill, right? You can approach the area, the time of year, the conditions, the, the, the desire for a deer to be there. At the end of the day, something random could happen. That buck could have been on his way to you and a coyote broke it up before you got there. You know, on your way there and a 
a fisherman smacks the side of his boat of aluminum boat and he goes dang and he gets a little skittish and he just kind of bends down where he is i mean there's just so many variables that go into it and so um i say that because it's easy to feel like you executed great and didn't have any success and so if you feel like you have a solid game plan and you're not finding success maybe stick with it just a little bit longer because it might need a couple more cycles to bear bear fruit for you but just because you're not seeing those deer or connecting with them it could be that you're just a whisker away from being able to connect sometimes the you know you're gonna pick up the fumble sometimes you're you know somebody gonna get it and uh that happens there's places um this year like we were on the on the patreon hunt and we, i hunted in there and uh i was in the right place I, I really believe that even now like i was in the right place and may have had an encounter with a really nice buck but i went back in there and i was happy to shoot whatever and i uh, ended up taking a doe and it was just a matter of putting enough time in that place for them just to have the encounter and everything work out but if you're in a you're you're able to go in the woods and and see deer get on them consistently and then stay in a place where you're not going to be busted um routinely then sometimes it's going to go their their way sometimes they're going to win there's there's little things that you can't you can't do anything about um but you just got to be there and eventually it's going to go your way and you're going to pick up that fumble and uh carry out a big deer we agree, buddy. Well, here's to turkey season. Here's to a successful deer season. Um, stay out of my areas next year for deer. That'd be appreciated. And uh... no promises. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.